Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Just a Theory. Um, I am back today with another true crime case. I uh, will say after this one, I'm probably going to go do a, actually definitely going to go do like a conspiracy theory or something a little lot because this is, like I said, another true crime case. Um, and it's kind of a long one, so we're going to go ahead and jump right in. Uh, we're going to be talking about the John Benet Ramsey case. So I'm sure most of you or maybe all of you are familiar with that, but we're going to go over um, things that I found in the research. Of course, not all of this was plastered all over the media at the time. So I did a little digging of my own to kind of gather my own thoughts and come up with my own theory. So let's jump right into it. So let's go back to 1996 in Boulder, Colorado. Um, first, I'm going to give you just a little bit of background on the Ramseys. John Ramsey, who was the father, he was from Nebraska, and in 1996, he was 53 years old. Um, before this, he formed the Advanced Product Group, uh, which eventually merged, merged with a few other groups to become Access Graphics, where John took over as president and CEO. And Access Graphics is actually tied in pretty deep with Lockheed Martin, by the way. Um, John was also named Entrepreneur of the Year in 1996. So let's look at Patricia Ramsey, who is the mother. She went by Patsy. She was 40 years old at the time of her daughter's murder, and I will not refer to it as her death, by the way, so if murder makes you cringe, sorry, not sorry. Um, but Patsy actually lost her battle to ovarian cancer on June 24th, 2006. Rest in peace to her. Uh, Patsy had a bachelor's degree in journalism from West Virginia University, where she belonged to the Alpha Z Delta sorority. Uh, Patsy was really into pageants. She was definitely a pageant girl. She actually won Miss West Virginia in 1977. Very much a pageant girl. Um, Burke Ramsey was John Bonet's brother, and he was born in Atlanta, Georgia, and was nine years old at the time of his sister's murder. Burke is now a software developer, and he is described to have had a short temper as a child. And following the murder of his sister, Burke was pretty much kept completely out of the public's eye. He actually didn't speak publicly until 2016, which was 20 freaking years after her murder. And it was on an interview with Dr. Phil. Um, he really, he didn't actually even speak to authorities within all of this time. His parents pretty much kept him away. Now, I would say, fun fact, but to be honest... There's not really anything fun about this fact. Um, and several sources I found where Burke was described as having a history of scatological problems. Pretty much, Burke would smear his shit through the house. And the main target of his shit smearing was John Bonet's bed and basically, I guess, second place were her walls. Um, and actually, crime scene technicians found a box of chocolates in John Bonet's room that she had got for Christmas that he had smeared stuff on the morning of her murder. Um, so let's now get into John Bonet Ramsey. John Bonet was also born in Atlanta, Georgia, and she was six years old when she was brutally murdered. John Bonet followed in her mother's footsteps and was a renowned pageant girl. 
Um, she held many titles, some of them including Little Miss Colorado, Little Miss Charleroi, Colorado State All-Star Kids Cover Girl, America's Royale Miss, and National Tiny Miss Beauty. Um, it's kind of debated whether or not John Bonet actually liked doing the pageants or if they were just for her mother. There is this story that I did find uh, basically that one time one of her friends came over and she saw all of John Bonet's trophies in her trophy case and was just so in awe. And John Bonet basically just shrugged it off and was like, Well, those are my mom's trophies. So. Very questionable if she actually enjoyed this. Um, but John Bonet was always said to have a very sweet and kind-hearted personality and also a huge piece of information. The Ramses were rich. Um, and it is also important to note that their house was huge. Um, it was a three-story house and it was pretty intric- intricate and it was like a labyrinth-style home. So lots of hallways, just weird corners, all this crazy. So let's get right into it. Um, I will say this gets kind of rough at a certain point. So if you're not into true crime, I would just suggest wait for the next podcast. But here we go. December 25th, 1996. The Ramses are at a Christmas party at their family friends, Fleet and Priscilla White. They leave to go home. And on the way home, John Bonet falls asleep in the car. And once they get home, John carried John Bonet into her room and put her in her bed. December 26, 1996, Patsy wakes up around 5 a.m. She brushes her teeth and heads downstairs, and at the bottom of her staircase, she finds a a two-and-a-half-page ransom note. At this time, she allegedly goes straight to John Bonet's bed and does not see her in her bed, so then she goes and tells her husband, John. So, I do have the ransom note that I'm going to read. It read, Mr. Ramsey, listen carefully. We are a group of individuals that represent a small foreign faction. We respect your business, but not the country that it serves. At this time, we have your daughter in our possession. She is safe and unharmed, and if you want her to see 1997, you must follow our instructions to the letter. You will withdraw $118,000 from your account. A hundred thousand will be in one hundred dollar bills and the remaining eighteen thousand and twenty dollar bills. Make sure that you bring an adequate size attache to the bank. When you get home you will put the money in a brown paper bag. I will call you between eight and ten AM tomorrow to instruct you on delivery. The delivery will be exhausting, so I advise you need you to be rested. If we monitor you getting the money early, we might call you early to arrange an earlier delivery of the money and hence an earlier delivery, which was scratched out, then it says pickup of your daughter. Any deviation of my instructions will result in the immediate execution of your daughter. You will also be denied her remains for proper burial. The two gentlemen watching over your daughter do not particularly like you, so I advise you not to provoke them. Speaking to anyone about your situation, such as police, FBI, etc., will result in your daughter being beheaded. If we catch you talking to a stray dog, she dies. If you alert bank authorities, she dies. If the money is in any way marked or tampered with, she dies. You will be scanned for electronic devices, and if they are found, she dies. You can try to device us, but be warned. 
that we are familiar with law enforcement countermeasures and tactics. You stand a 99% chance of killing your daughter if you try to outsmart us. Follow our instructions and you stand a 100% chance of getting her back. You and your family are under constant scrutiny, as well as the authorities. Don't try to grow a brain, John. You are not the only fat cat around, so don't think that killing will be difficult. Don't underestimate us, John. Use that good southern common sense of yours. It is up to you now, John. Victory, SBTC. Pretty weird. So, let's get into it. The note was actually written on Patsy's notepad, and they used a pen that was on the kitchen counter. And after the fact, after they came in and found the notepad, uh, authorities, after they came in and found the notepad, were starting to do their investigation, they found out that that note had actually been started several different times. Um, Now let's talk about the $118,000 ransom, which is super, super weird right first of all it's just a weird number in general but especially for the price of a child's life basically so strangely enough a hundred and eighteen thousand dollars was the amount of the christmas bonus that john had received and just recently deposited into his bank account so in the argument that this was an intruder if you know the story you already know how this plays out the bank statement with that information was on the counter so there's a possibility there they just saw it and said okay let's do that number but let's do some math here we're going to just create a little scenario let's just say we have a person making 70k a year and they get a 200 dollars christmas bonus theoretically this is just theoretical just for perspective um, so if we take the 118k Christmas bonus that John got with that same ratio, it's basically 41.3 million gross per year. That's theoretical, of course. There's no, I mean, that's theoretical, and maybe you can even find how much he made a year. I just did this really quick because I was like, mm, that's a lot of money. That's a shit ton of money. For a Christmas bonus, $118,000. So why would they only ask for $118,000? If I see somebody is depositing $118,000 into their bank account at one time, I'm already knowing they got money for real. So why would I only ask for $118,000? I digress. Um, Also, another super odd thing about the note, they actually found that it took 21 minutes to write the note and that is a very long time to be writing a note in the middle of the night during a kidnapping um the fbi actually came and said that the note was completely unprecedented and they said that there has never been a two and a half page ransom note um there has never been a ransom note written at the scene and there was also never a body left at the scene where a legit keyword legit ransom note and kidnapping were involved um experts also confirmed that whoever wrote the note definitely intended to hide their actual handwriting and also patsy's handwriting was actually the only handwriting that set off any kind of alarm bells out of everybody they tested and pretty much all of the experts believe that she wrote the note but can't say 100 percent And also, it can't be used as evidence. So, after Patsy told John about the note and John Bonet missing, she called 911. 
The operator, Kim Archuleta, answered Patsy's call at 5.52 a.m. on December 26, 1996. Um, you can go listen to the call if you want to. Um, the call, like, really has always made me feel super uncomfortable personally. To me, it feel, it's, like it feels so exaggerated and fake and rehearsed. It makes my skin crawl. It literally actually makes me cringe. She like she never even said John Bonet's name whenever she called. And the operator also said she immediately she immediately felt like something was off about the call whenever she answered. Um and she also said that she felt like it was super rehearsed. So at the end of the call, Patsy hung up the phone abruptly, but it actually didn't disconnect. It's like she sat it down on the hanger, but it didn't connect in, in the call. She was still on the line. And there's like a ton of speculation surrounding like the muffled sounds and conversations at the end of that call. And the recording of it was actually sent to airspace and they had several different experts listen to that call with all of like their advanced technology of background noise removal, etc., all that stuff. And they all heard the same thing. And the, the key thing about this is that they all listened to it separately. So they sent one in this room and listened to it, when, sent another one in that room with no discussion. And everybody heard the same thing. So this is basically the conversation that they came up with. Patsy, quote, we called the police. Now what? End quote. John, quote, we're not speaking to you. End quote. Patsy, Quote, help me, Jesus, help me, Jesus, help me, Jesus, end quote. And then there's a young male voice that they said says, quote, well, what did you find, end quote. Um, so there are a few other things that were noted, um, like John saying, honey, and Patsy saying something like, what did you do? They're going to arrest me. Um, you'll, you'll just have to listen to the call for yourself and see what you hear. Everybody can hear something different, but especially now that I said that, you're probably going to hear what I just said. But you can go listen to the call for yourself. There's plenty of versions out there, and there's some that have attempted to clear it up so you can hear it a little better. Go take a swing at that yourself. Um, so there's a lot of focus actually on the end of the call, but me personally, I actually found something at the beginning of the call super, super suspicious. Um, so when the operator first answered the phone, Patsy's like already talking, but she sounds rushed. Um, and it's almost... To me, the first time I listened to it, it almost sounded like she started to say, we need an ambulance, but then she changed it to police. Um, I'm not sure. I, I, I don't know. Like I said, I don't have the technology or the desire to go dig into that and do all this extra stuff. Um, but I also kind of heard it as like she was saying it's ringing and then as soon as the operator answered she kind of rushed that last part out and said police we need police um but it really did almost sound like she said ambulance but she kind of called herself um so back to the story when Patsy got off the phone with the operator, she called her friends and family and told them, I have an emergency. You need to come here. Okay, first of all, lady, that note literally said, do not call or contact anyone. Okay, police, all right. I can, I can understand that. I, I would definitely call the police if it was my daughter. I would be scared. I don't know. Actually, I can't say what I would do in that situation. Scratch that. But... That did that note literally not just tell you do not contact or call anyone? Hmm? All right. Okay, Miss Girl. 
you know what you're doing. So after the 911 call, two police officers arrive at the Ramsey house within three minutes of the call. Um, and when the police officers arrived, they described Patsy and John to be like fully dressed and ready for the day. Like this is something that they specifically noted that they thought was odd. And they specifically pointed out that Patsy's hair and makeup were done. Um, so when they arrived, Patsy tells the police that when she woke up, she went to John Bonet's room and saw that she wasn't in her bed. And then she went downstairs, and that's when she found the ransom note. Um, and at this time, when they arrived, when the officers arrived, they got John and Patsy to do a handwriting test. And as I already said before, Patsy's definitely like sounded some alarms, even though it wasn't completely identical. Um. So the officers searched the house, and they couldn't find any signs of forced entry or exit. And one of them actually went into the basement. If you know the story, then, you know, this is significant. He went into the basement, looked at the wine cellar door, and decided not to open it and left the basement. Um, and the weirdest and dumbest thing is they only taped off her bedroom and nothing else in the house. Like, honestly... This, the whole investigation was just botched AF, botched AF. They didn't separate the parents to get a story, and I'll get into this later. Burke was literally just in his bed asleep the entire time. They only marked off her room, even though this was, this was at this time assumed to be an intrusion and kidnapping. The entire house should be flagged off. No one should be in the house. It just gets crazier and crazier. So, also, another fun fact with absolutely no fun. This was actually the only murder in Boulder, Colorado that year. So, maybe that can account to why the investigation was so poorly carried out. Actually, it doesn't. That's not why. But the beginning of it, maybe that's why it was so poorly carried out. And actually, back to the whole them not getting statements for the parents another fun fact with absolutely no fun again it was five months after the murder before investigators even spoke with john and patsy about what happened that night and also not only that not only was it five months after but they interviewed them together at the same time instead of separating them and getting separate statements to get to the bottom of this but I'm sure we can all guess why by the end of this story. Back to it. At this time, the friends arrive, and Patsy now tells them that she saw the note and just handed it to John. The friends didn't even know what was going on. She just told them that she had an emergency and they needed to come over there. And when they got there, they're like, what in the hell? So, yeah. Anyway, she tells them, she tells them that she found the note and that she just handed it to John. But later, John told the police that when Patsy found the note, she was screaming for John and basically freaking out and gave him the note. And like I said, apparently this whole time, Burke was just allegedly asleep in his room peacefully. Um, And also, I do want to add into this. Priscilla, when she arrived... At the Ramseys, she actually went into the kitchen and started cleaning the kitchen. She started cleaning 
the kitchen. And the officers and investigators let her. Okay. So that's where we're at. Now it's 8.11 a.m. And Detective Linda Arndt. I don't know how to say her name. I didn't look it up either. Because these detectives suck. Actually, actually, actually. I take that back. They don't all suck. But 8.11 a.m. She arrives on the scene. Um, At this time, Patsy tells her she went downstairs, found the ransom note, then went back upstairs and did not see John Bonet. As you can tell, the story continues to differentiate every time they tell it. Um, So, if you remember, the note told them that they should expect a call between 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. And this was noted by investigators and police officers that during this window, um, John left the room that had the phone in it three different times. And actually, one time the phone rang and he had to run back to answer it, but the call was completely unrelated. Um, And they also noted that John was like pretty panic stricken and he was like pacing back and forth but the main thing that they all noticed and thought was really weird and all accounted was that basically the family they didn't even seem to notice that that time frame had came and gone when it was eight o'clock they were like not not even hardly aware not looking for it they weren't watching for the call and when 10 o'clock came they didn't make any kind of reaction there was nothing um it just came and went and they didn't care um, so after they did not receive the call, Fleet White um, decides to look around and see if he can find John Bonet. And he goes to the basement and sees that there's a window that's closed, but it's unlatched. And he actually opened the wine cellar door when he went to the basement this time. And he stepped in a little ways, but he couldn't see anything and he couldn't find the light switch. So he just shut the door and left. And one interesting thing about Fleet. Um, he was actually the only person who called out for John Bonet um, while they were looking for her. And a few years before this happened, the Whites actually had to call the police themselves because they couldn't find their daughter, who is actually or was very close in age to John Bonet. Uh, but their daughter was actually just hiding, and they found her, and everything was okay. But. That's why he was calling out her name. He said that specifically that's why he was calling out her name. That's what he was thinking about as he was looking for her. So, um, now John goes down to the basement. And he's the third person at this point to go to the basement alone looking for John Bonet. And he notices a broken window that's open. And he goes over and closes it. But he doesn't say anything to anybody about it. And now Fleet decides that they need to get Burke up and take Burke to their house, the Watts' house, and get him away from all of this chaos. Um, And at this point, they pretty much said John is really starting to lose it. Um, So when Fleet returns, the detective tells John and Fleet to do a thorough search and see if they, quote, find anything amiss. Um, And the detective noted specifically saying to search the house, quote, top to bottom. So John immediately heads towards the basement, and Fleet follows. Um, 
And when John and Fleet get to the basement, Fleet notices the broken window this time. And John explains that he broke it to get in because he got locked out and it had and he had just shut it when he went down earlier. Um, and if you look at the crime scene photos, because they are public, you will see that the window is open. There was a lot of speculation around this whole window situation. I found that everywhere. I'm like, what does a window have anything to do with this? But super weird, right? So the window is literally like another piece of this million-piece freaking puzzle. What the frick does it mean? So let's talk about it real quick just for a second. There is a suitcase that's on the floor under the window, like kind of set up like it was used as a step, and you can see it in the photos. Uh, but there's no disturbance on the windowsill. It's covered in dust, dirt, and there's cobwebs on the windowsill. So there's no way somebody came in and out of that window and did not touch the windowsill. Um, but there's also no signs of footprints on the outside of the window where someone would have had to walk up to the window in order to get in or step out of the window to leave. So, yeah, I guess that's the significance of the window, but... Anyways, back to the story. John opens the wine cellar door, and this is very, very notable. This is very important. Fleet says that he swears. John exclaimed, oh, my God, before he turned the light on or anything. Um, and this is where it gets a little rough, so this is your warning. Um, when John turned on the light to the wine cellar, he saw John Bonet on the floor with a white blanket covering her torso. Her arms were over her head with nylon cord around her neck and wrist, duct tape over her mouth, and she was in the same clothes as she was when he carried her to bed the night before. So originally, John didn't even see the cord that was around John Bonet's neck because it was pulled so tightly into her skin. And, um, there was a garrote made from a broken paintbrush from Patsy's paint kit that was outside the wine cellar door. And it had been used to pull the cord so tight that it actually made an indent into John Bonet's skin. If you don't know what a garrote is, it's basically like a, just a homemade mechanism used to like tighten the rope around her neck. Um, so when Fleet saw John Bonet, he immediately ran upstairs and was yelling to call an ambulance. Um, John immediately went and took the tape off of John Bonet's mouth and untied her wrist. Um, I want to go back to the whole John saying "Oh my God" before the light came on because that is that that was very important in the investigation. Um, so. Fleet says that John said, oh, my God, before he even turned the lights on, as if he already knew what was in the room. Um, of course, John claims that he saw the blanket before the light was turned on, and Fleet said, absolutely no way in hell. And they actually had experts come in and test this theory, and every one of the experts concluded that they could not see anything in there when the light was off. There was no way excuse me, that John had saw the blanket before he turned the light on. Now, in the argument of his sake, it's his home. He knows it a little better. I don't know. All the experts saying it didn't happen, I'm going with it didn't happen. So back to the story. Um, John picks John Bonet up and carries her up the stairs screaming. And this is another strange thing that everyone noted. 
Um, when John is carrying her up the stairs, he's not like cradling her. He's like he's holding her by her underarms and out away from his body, which was super, super weird. So at this time, Priscilla, she goes to see what's going on. Um, but also strangely noted, Patsy didn't even follow Priscilla. She didn't go to see what the commotion was all about. She was just still. Um, John placed John Bonet at the top of the stairs in the hallway. And an investigator noted him as repeating, my angel, my angel. Um, at this time, the detective takes John Bonet and places her at the bottom of the Christmas tree. And just honestly, what are y'all thinking? What are y'all doing? Literally, the entire crime scene is so completely contaminated. Y'all are not going to figure anything out. I guess to the benefit of the Ramses, don't sue me. I don't have nothing to get sued for. Who am I kidding? Um, seriously, it is so contaminated. Why are people in this house? Why is everyone in this house roaming around looking for this child? Anyways, Patsy is brought into the room where John Bonet is because she can't walk. Um, someone get this lady a freaking Oscar. Anyway, she throws herself onto John Bonet and repeatedly screams out, Lazarus, raise her from the dead. Super theatrical, huh? Okay. Um, I don't want to push my opinion too much, actually, while I'm giving the facts. But come on. Come on now. Um, the Ramsey's pastor is there at this point and claims that John made the comment, I don't think he meant to kill her. She was wrapped in a blanket. And he commented about how she was still warm. So, now it is 1.30 p.m. on December 26, 1996, and Officer Richard French hears John making a phone call to his personal pilot regarding a trip to Atlanta. And officers, of course, explain to him, you can't go anywhere right now. Your daughter was just murdered in your home. And John's reply was, I have a meeting I can't miss. Boy, a meeting you can't miss and your daughter was just brutally murdered in your home? suspicious so records show that he actually reached out to his private pilot twice that day that 41.3 million that looking real realistic right now no words um the medical examiner arrived at 8 p.m 8 p.m he announced john benet's time of death to be somewhere between 10 p.m and 6 a.m on December 25th through 26, 1996, uh, but said that it was definitely closer to 10 p.m. Um, John Bonet had a fractured skull, which is not what actually killed her, but would have eventually killed her if she hadn't been strangled to death. The official cause of death was, quote, asphyxia by strangulation, associate associated with craniocerebral trauma. Uh, while there was no conclusive evidence of rape, it was believed that she had been a victim of some form of sexual assault, and they did find blood in her underwear. And they also believed that she was uh, sexually assaulted with the brush handle and believed that it was very likely that she had been previously assaulted before this incident. Um, there were also a couple of marks on her back and neck that highly resembled the marks of a stun gun prong. Uh, but interesting enough, they also actually matched perfectly with the prongs of Burke's 
toy train set. Now, the cord on John Bonet's wrist were extremely loose. In fact, they actually didn't make any marks on her wrist. No bruises, nothing. Um, and as I have already said, the cord around her neck was so tight it actually indented her skin. And it is believed that she was still alive when she was garroted due to the petechial hemorrhage of her eyes. So there was also a triangular-shaped bruise on her neck um, that was about the size of a quarter, and they kind of basically concluded that they think maybe her shirt got caught in the cord when she was being strangled, but the cord was not, I mean, the shirt was not caught up in the cord when she was found. So take that how you want. I don't know. I don't really have any theories on that. Um, the cord around John Bonet's neck was actually cord from a new roll of cord. Um, it had the like waxed or not waxed, but like burnt end of the like how the start of a new roll would be. And the cords around her wrist uh, were not from the new roll, but were from the same roll as what was around her neck. They were you could tell they had been cut. The ends were frayed. Um, let's talk about the duct tape now. When a person is strangled and killed mucus will come from their nose and obviously run down their face um it was found that the duct tape was actually placed over this mucus which just meant that the duct tape was placed after she had been strangled to death and it was also noted that the only mark on the duct tape were a perfect set of john benet's lips uh, which proves there was no fight or struggle to place the tape um, over her mouth or even after the tape was placed as there were no smears or smudges in her lip prints. Uh, something super perplexing, though, uh, there was actually DNA found in John Bonet's underwear and her waistband that didn't belong to any of the Ramseys. But I'm starting to think this is alleged. This is just alleged. And it was never identified other than it belonged to a male. So fast forward a little, uh, Boulder Police Chief Tom Kobe announces that there is no threat to the public. This was an isolated event. Uh, can you say paid off? Also, interesting, interestingly, Patsy around this time is quoted as saying in an interview, quote, keep your babies close to you. There's someone out there, end quote. Um, it's also, I think, super important to note that there was a high-tech boot print found near um, the place where John Bonet's body was originally found that doesn't match any of the shoes in the Ramsey household. And there was also a partial handprint on the doorframe of the wine cellar that didn't match anyone in the Ramsey household either. As far as all of this evidence is concerned, I like to say that it's all alleged. I'm not going to get into my theory yet. We'll get there. We'll get there. Um, so in the summer of 1977, the Ramseys actually moved back to Atlanta. And in 1998, Detective Steve Thomas resigns from the Boulder Police Department due to the mishandling of the Ramsey case and pins um, about a six-page resignation letter. Um, I did read the letter, and I do have some quotes I want to read from the letter. Um... He said, the primary reason I chose to leave is my belief that the district attorney's office continues to mishandle the Ramsey case. And he called the Ramsey case an uphill battle of a case. 
Um, and he said that it became nearly it became a nearly impossible investigation because of the political alliances, philosophical differences, and professional egos that blocked progress in more ways and on more occasions than I can detail in this memorandum. Um, and then he goes on to say that they basically made a 30-page um, document of the investigation, and then they were told by the district attorney's office that they would not be participating as grand jury advisory witnesses, which was crazy. I mean, they have they have 30 pages worth of investigation, and they're not going to go to court for this trial. Um, so... Anyways, uh, during he says also, during the investigation, detectives would discover, collect, and bring evidence to the district attorney's office only to have it summarily dismissed or rationalized as insignificant. The most elementary of investigative efforts, such as obtaining telephone and credit card records, were met without support. Search warrants denied. The significance of... The significant opinions of national experts were casually dismissed or ignored by the district attorney's office. Even the experienced FBI were waved aside. He also says, an FBI agent whom I didn't even know quietly tipped me off about what the DA's office was doing behind our backs, conducting investigation the police department was wholly unaware of. I was advised not to speak to certain witnesses and all but dis dissuaded from pursuing particular investigative efforts. Polygraphs were acceptable for some subjects, but others seemed immune from such requests. There is evidence that was crucial to the investigation that to this day has never been collected because neither search warrants nor other means were supposed to do so. Not to mention evidence which still sits today untested in the laboratory as differences continue about how to proceed. Side note, there are still things that have not been tested to this day. Um... He was also always encouraged to ask permission of the Ramseys for any investigative actions that he took. He said, having to convince to plead at times to a district attorney's offices, office to assist us in the murder of a little girl by way of the most basic of investigative requests was simply absurd. It was an assignment without change of success. Politics seemed to trump justice. We watched the media spun while we were prohibited from exercising First Amendment rights. Last year, when we discovered hidden cameras inside the Ramsey house, only to realize the detectives had been unwittingly videotaped, this should have rocked the police department off its foundation. Um... Although several good men in the police department shouted loudly behind closed doors, the organization stood deafeningly silent at what continued to occur, occur unchallenged. Some of us bit our tongues as the public was told of this renewed cooperation between the police department and the district attorney's office. This at the very time the detectives and those in the district attorney's office weren't even on speaking terms. The same time you had to act as a liaison between the two agencies because the detectives couldn't tolerate it. But the detectives who know this case better than anyone were told we would not be allowed as grand jury advisory witnesses, as is commonplace. He also said, it is my belief that district attorney's office has effectively crippled this case. What I witnessed for two years of my life was so fundamentally flawed, it reduced me to tears. There is some consolation that a greater justice awaits the person who committed these acts, independent of the system we call justice. A greater justice awaits of that, at least we can be confident. As a now infamous author, panicked in the night, once penned, use that good southern common sense of yours. I will do just that. Originally from a small southern town where this would never have been tolerated, where respect 
for law and order and traditions were instilled in me, I will take that murderous author's out-of-context advice and use my good Southern common sense to put this case into the perspective it necessitates. A precious child was murdered. There needs to be some consequence to that. I cannot continue to sanction by my silence what has occurred in this case. At 36 years old, I thought my last passion as a police officer was carved in stone. I realized that although I may have to trade my badge for a carpenter's hammer, I will do so with a clean and clear conscience. It is with a heavy heart that I offer my resignation from the Boulder Police Department and protest of this continuing travesty. Okay. Now, in 2013, court documents were released showing that Grand Jury actually voted to indict John and Patsy Ramsey on one case of child abuse resulting in death each and one case of accessory to a crime each. The DA ignored this and would not, would not sign off on it, which was an exceptionally rare thing for them to do. Okay, red flag, red flag, red flag. Obviously, let's talk about it. Um, well, we'll talk about that later. Let's talk about key evidence and some of the suspects. Um, if you know anything about this case, then you know about the pineapple, so let's talk about that for a second. On the Ramsey counter, there was a bowl of freshly cut pineapple with a large spoon in it and an empty glass of iced tea next to it. Uh, the only fingerprints on the bowl were Burke and Patsy's, and the only fingerprints on the glass were Burke's. And basically, no one knows where the pineapple came from. To this day, no one claims the pineapple. John and Patsy said they didn't make it. To this day, they still say they didn't make it. Burke claims that he doesn't remember, uh, but there are several interviews from his um, psychology sessions, like as a child immediately after this happened, where he was asked about the pineapple and he would like cover his mouth, which was a sign that he was hiding something. Um, fresh pineapple was found in John Bonet's digestive system during her autopsy, and her parents said that she didn't have any pineapple at the Christmas party and that they had not fed her any pineapple either. In 2016, when Burke spoke with Dr. Phil, he told him that he was actually up that night because he wanted to play with a toy he had just gotten for Christmas. Even though the parents continuously told authorities and media and everybody that he was asleep all night and had slept through the entire night and through all of this chaos. So let's talk about the flashlight next. Uh, there was a maglite flashlight that was on the counter that was taken as evidence. There were no prints found on the flashlight. Um, and John was like always super funny about this and back and forth about claiming the flashlight. Sometimes he would say it was theirs, and sometimes he would say it wasn't. This maglot was normally kept in a drawer in the kitchen, and that drawer was found to be halfway open during the investigation. Um, the fracture in John Bonet's skull also was believed to have been made by this flashlight. Uh, the size and the shape of the injury basically matched up perfect to the tip of the flashlight. So now let's look at some suspects. Our first suspect is John Mark Carr. Uh, he was a school teacher and actually confessed to killing John Bonet Ramsey. But uh, even though he confessed to this, he, it was like basic information that was all over the media. Everybody knew. And he actually always avoided questions surrounding the incident. And he was later cleared by DNA evidence. Um, just a theory on this. I think he was paid to confess. Uh, he actually later transitioned to a woman, and maybe his confession was in exchange for the surgery. Just a theory, though. I don't know. 
Um, next we have Gary Olivia. Gary Olivia was no, was a known pedophile and child rapist, and he apparently caught his friend on the morning of December 26 sobbing, saying that he hurt a little girl and he was in Boulder. His friend called the police immediately, and the police told him that they would follow up with him, but they literally ghosted the man. They didn't say nothing to him. They didn't call him back. And when he tried to call back, he had to leave messages, and his messages were never answered. So in 2016, Gary Olivia was actually arrested and was found with a stun gun, cutouts of John Bonet in his backpack, and a poem that he had rent, written to John Bonet titled Ode to John Bonet. But DNA evidence ruled him out as the murderer. Okay, suspect number three, Michael Helgoth. Michael Helgoth was an electrician and was supposedly in the middle of a dispute with the Bramseys. One of Michael's co-workers truly believed that he did it. Michael apparently told this co-worker that he and a buddy had a job and was going to get them about 50 to 60 k a piece. Um, the same co-worker also claimed that one day as they were walking into the Ramsey house, he made the comment, I wonder what it would be like to crack a human skull. Michael also had similar boots to the boot print that was found, um, and he actually, Michael committed suicide, and this came two days after the Boulder DA said in a conference, quote, the list is narrowing down, and soon all that will be left is you, end quote. Um, but he was later cleared by DNA evidence. Um, just a theory, but all of the hearsay was literally just that, just hearsay. I think that it was convenient and the co-worker kind of maybe fabricated some of that. Not to say it didn't happen, but just a theory, you know. And just another theory, it's not really that crazy to imagine his boot print being in the house considering he works for the Ramses and does things in their house. Of course, he's going to be down there all throughout the house. Um, now, fourth suspect, which really wasn't much of a suspect at all, was Linda Pugh, and she was the housekeeper, um, and she had a key to the house. And it was very apparent that Patsy and Linda did not have a good relationship, and Linda actually said that she thought Patsy accidentally did it. And Patsy pretty much claimed that Linda made the comment that John Bonet was so beautiful and, quote, aren't you worried someone will kidnap her? Uh, Linda was also cleared by DNA evidence. Uh, the last suspect that was taken seriously was Bill McReynolds. Bill McReynolds would dress up as Santa Claus um, during the holidays for pictures and visits, um, and it was always claimed that he apparently paid too much attention to John Bonet during these visits. And one year, John Bonet had gifted Santa with a vial of gold glitter as a thank you for her future gifts, pretty much, and just. Um, for all the gifts that he gives all the children. She said he deserved gifts, too. Um, Bill actually took that vial of glitter into open-heart surgery with him, and he requested that he be buried with it as well. I couldn't find the source to this. I could, I don't know if there's any truth to this. I just I randomly saw this. Um, but it was alleged that he, Bill Reynolds, when he was dressed up as Santa, promised John Bonet a special visit after Christmas. Um, but Bill was cleared by DNA ev evidence, and he actually died of a heart attack later on. Okay, so now that you have all that, let's get into my theory. I knew, like, the basis and the main facts of this case before I started. Of course, I had my own theory before I did a deep dive into it myself. And the deep dive into this case 
Um, honestly, it made me like it made me feel super uncomfortable. I felt pretty disturbed for a couple of days. Like I did all I, I went and did all this. I've had this topped up for almost two weeks now. But I, I mean, it 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 was hard for me to come to and do this. Now I got over it a little bit. I'm good now. Um, but the crime scene photos, like I said, they were public. That's what got to me really. The crime scene photos really, really got to me. You can go look at them if you want to. Um, they're, they were pretty hard for me to look at. I personally really had a hard time um, looking at the pictures of her hands, even though there was like there was no damage. There was nothing. There was nothing wrong with her hands, but it's just the fact. Like as a mother, I know I love my baby's hands and feet. They're just the sweetest little thing. Seeing her little hands, it it really broke my heart. It got to me. I'm not going to lie. It got to me. I'm like, I can't do another true crime case after this. I need to step away from this. Um, so, I digress. Again. Um, I'm not a professional, uh, but I did watch and listen to a lot of the like recordings and the interviews and things that are all public knowledge, of course. And honestly, Patsy and John can go to hell. Both of them, to be honest, both of them just gone. They they seem like really weird to me in all of them. I got weird vibes in all of them, and maybe it's just my preconceived notions. I don't know. It all seems super fake to me. Seems super rehearsed, poised, planned out, all that, all that good stuff. And there were a couple of comments that really um, stuck out to me though through all of this. And one thing that really just irked me so bad was the way that Patsy would say I did not have anything to do with it I think it was like the way she would emphasize certain words in her I I don't know it rubbed me the wrong way it made me feel uncomfortable it was suspicious to me it didn't sound right it didn't sound like something that she should be saying and I don't I don't really know how to explain it without sounding crazy honestly I don't know it just rubbed me the wrong way um Another huge thing to me, um, and maybe I'm just overanalyzing things, but another thing that like was super, 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 super weird and telling personally to me, um, there was one interview where John um, said, like in response to the, the interviewer or whoever, had accused him of hiding Burke from the public, and John's response was, quote, we didn't hide him. We protected him. We were worried about his physical safety because we were under assault, end quote. But then this is the weird part to me because he goes on and he lists um, like what they were under assault from, basically. He says, quote, media, press, cameras, and something else. I don't remember what else he said. But not one time did he mention anything about the fact that that his daughter was just literally brutally murdered in their home. And it was supposedly at the hands of an intruder and kidnapper who was pissed at him or something concerning his job. They left a ransom note. And it's like, you're you're going to sit here and say that y'all were under assault. And then you list off the media press and cameras with no afterthought of the murderer who just took your daughter from you. I thought that was so... Weird, because I'm not going to lie, if if one of my, if I had two kids and one of my children was brutally murdered in our home in the middle of the night, 
Literally, my biggest fear would be that person coming back for my other child. Which also leads me to this. How the hell was Burke just asleep in his room the whole time? There is no way I would have had my child in my skin with me after this. There is no freaking way. He would not have been by himself. I'm just saying. I know that much. I know they say you don't know what you'll do to you in this situation. I know that much. My child would not be out of my sight. Another strange thing was that pretty much after this happened, they hired a group of lawyers and a PR team. Super weird. Maybe it wasn't weird. I thought it was weird. Because why do you need lawyers and PR if you're innocent? Probably because you're not. You're probably not innocent. Um, and like I said at the very beginning, they didn't they didn't let Burke talk to authorities or to the public. He wasn't he wasn't in an interview or anything. The only thing that the only people he talked to were his psychologists, and basically they made him do that. Um like I said, the first time he spoke out was 20 years later, 2016, on Dr. Phil, which you can go watch those. I think it's three parts. Um, but Burke's psychologist pointed out that the emotions and reactions that he had as a nine-year-old child um, to the brutal murder of his brutal murder of his sister in their home was extremely strange and very off-putting. Um, they said he didn't seem scared, sad, or even concerned, and he was described as strikingly unemotional and very detached. Very closed off about his family, and they said this was typical of a child that was hiding something. Um, another fact about this, 13 days after his sister was murdered, he was actually asked to draw a picture of his family by his psychologist, and he drew himself, his mom, and his dad only. And as I said in the beginning, Burke was like known to have a bit of a temper. And when they were younger, Burke actually hit John Bonet in the face with a golf club and left a scar that Patsy consulted plastic surgeons about. And Burke was just really strange. Like he would always say things like, My parents loved her a lot. Or anytime speaking of John Bonet or something like that, he would also he would just say his parents and he would never say we. Um According to the autopsy, this is a fact. This is not part of my theory. According to the autopsy, John Bonet was hit on the head, which is how she got the fracture to her skull, and 45 minutes to two hours later is when she was strangled to death. So just a theory, but I think that Burke hit her in the head with the flashlight out of anger but not necessarily with the intention to kill her. Um, it is a fact that the blow to her head knocked her into a very deep unconsciousness. Obviously, it fractured her skull and could have been the cause of her death if she weren't strangled. Um, but just a theory, I think Burke probably went and got his mom after John Bonet didn't wake up for a while. And just a theory, but I think that Patsy and John definitely worked together to murder and cover it up to get Burke out of trouble, keep Burke out of trouble. Um, also, I, I want to note this. I, I don't know. I don't I don't want to feed into this because I don't really think that this is true. But there was a lot of um, 
rumors, basically. They thought Patsy did it, but like out of anger because John Bonet peed the bed, because apparently that was a huge issue they were having. Um, that John Bonet kept peeing the bed. Which not fun fact, once again, this is not a fun fact, but it is a fact. Um wetting the bed, defecating themselves defecating yourself even after you're potty trained, that is that is a I won't say just because a child does this means that they have been sexually assaulted, but that is a sign of a child being sexually assaulted. So that's an interesting thing to look at as well. Um, It kind of just, it just makes you wonder like what really went on in the household. Not to say that she was wetting the bed because she was sexually assaulted, but of course there were the mentions that they believe she had been sexually assaulted before this incident. And it really, it is a fact that children who have experienced sexual assault uh, with the bed, wet themselves, defecate themselves, etc., etc. Um, so, I don't think Burke was capable of making the garrot, um, and it was actually noted as being pretty intricate. And also, I mean, I just feel like the depth of the cord required adult strength there i just i I don't think that there's any way a nine-year-old is gonna make a garrote around his sister's throat and pull it that tight um now my my only issue with this theory is that if burke was at the end of the call and he's asking well what did you find that 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 kind of like raises some questions on my theory because obviously if you did it you know what they found but I, I kind of got I, I got a little something. I think maybe maybe he did it. He went and told his mom, "Hey, John Bonet won't wake up. You need to go help her or something like." Didn't tell her the full story, and his mom sent him to his room to go figure it out. And boom, I don't know. I I do know. I don't believe for one second that there was an intruder in that house. I don't think the ransom note was real, and I don't think that anybody. But John Ramsey, Patsy Ramsey, or Burke Ramsey are responsible for the murder of John Bonet Ramsey. That's it. That's my theory. They're they're involved. I, I can't say specifics. I do. I do really. And basically, I'm set that I think Burke hit her in the head, and John and Patsy basically finished it off and tried to cover it up as best as they could. Um, but I think there's a lot of plausible scenarios to the exacts of this situation. It could have been this that happened, that that happened, whatever the case is. Whatever, whatever happened, the the people involved were John Ramsey, Patsy Ramsey, and Burke Ramsey, and that's it. That's it. Unless they maybe had someone in to come in and take care of it because they weren't able to. That's the only other thing I would say that is possible. So just a theory, but the Ramseys killed their daughter, and Burke was definitely involved. What are y'all thinking? What are y'all thinking? I know there's a lot of theories surrounding this, and there's a lot of, I mean, everybody knew about this case. So hopefully I, well, I don't want to say that. Hopefully this was informative and gave you some insight so that you can come up with your own theory. 
Um, and hopefully one day this case will be revisited and justice will be brought to six-year-old John Bonet Ramsey. Um, I'm going to go post some photos of Miss John Bonet Ramsey, and I will not be posting any pageant photos because I think that's weird. I would like to see John Bonet as a little six year old girl. I don't like the makeup, the hair done, the fake teeth. I don't like that. Makes me uncomfortable. Feels weird. Don't like it. So go check that out on Instagram at just a theory.podcast. Uh let me know what you think. What's your theories? What is your theory on the case? Let me know if you have any suggestions. Send me a DM what you want to hear next. I am going to do a conspiracy theory next. I got a couple in mind uh, that are like existing conspiracy theories, but I also I think I'm starting to form my own conspiracy theory about something. I can't tell you yet. I can't tell you yet. But I think y'all will like it. And honestly, I'm going to go ahead and say this. If you made it to this point of the podcast, kudos to you. You're going to get this cool information. It's not cool. And probably no one's going to hear it. (laughs) But I think I'm going to do some episodes um, that maybe I don't just... Like some of the conspiracy theories, I can't get behind. I'll note that. But some of them I just kind of want to do for fun. Uh, Just to put the information out there. It's super crazy. Uh, Which I guess my theory can be that it's not true. (laughs) But anyways. That was so pointless. Thanks for listening. See you next time.